Are you ready to scale? Why not invest three minutes in our scalability index? It's quick, it's easy, and it's got specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. Hello and welcome again to Genius at Scale. Today's guest, we're thrilled to have Christian Kletzel from User Gems. Christian, introduce yourself and tell us a little about your company. Hey, John. Great to be here. So I'm Christian Kletzel. I'm the CEO and co-founder of User Gems. User Gems is a sales and marketing platform. We turn customers' job changes and relationship information into new revenue. So any person that bought your product, used your product, loves your product, as they inevitably move to a new company, we track them for job changes and let your sales team know where they're going so they can sell to them again. And that's that's irrespective of the, of the, of the customer's product. You don't really care what their product is. Absolutely. I mean, it's ultimately... If someone loves your product, if we have this, like we're turning this champion, which is typically it's the customer lifetime value. It's focused on the company. We actually think it's the champion lifetime value. So kind of like even B2B selling is B2, is, is selling to a consumer. So in our case, whatever product they bought, as long as like a big, big part of people that used your product here change to companies that can be your customer again. We found about 80% stay within the industry, within the department, and then they can be customer. And that's completely unrelated to what the product actually is. That's great. So then how do you, uh, it's an interesting model. How do you measure rapid growth or scaling by what metrics do you use to do that? You mean for us as a company? Yeah. For you as a company, because everybody does it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is just how overwhelmed am I with the tasks that are being thrown at my hand? And I think that's really how how I at least experienced the scale over the last few years. Um, But I think more more generally speaking, scale is always like it's this magnitudes of where, where the type of work changes. And I think this applies both to the company and to me. Like, what are what are the things the company is working on from early signs of, hey, this could be working, where it's all focused on getting customers, to actually the next phase of, like, you have those. Now it's all focused on customer success, and then it's all focused on hiring. So I feel like there's these distinct phases in the company that, that like, when we talk about scale, it's actually the scale of the company brings new challenges and new work for, for us to work on. So if, if your own personal scaling metric is, if you feel like you're, you're in the deep end with a brick around your neck, then you say, yeah, we must be scaling because I'm, I'm taking on water. How does that, which one's more accurate or do they go in sync? Does the company's uh, challenges and your, your overwhelm, my word, not yours, do they go in lockstep or are they disconnected? <laughs> Uh, no, I think it's just a very interesting thought that um, the distinction of different problems being being thrown your way. And I think this applies to both the company and in this case, also me as the individual, because every phase of growth in the company, every new scale the company reaches comes with a new tasks and new challenges for me. Right. And I think on the other hand, it also means that 
there's kind of like a good thing in that as well. Like obviously, there's a good thing, but there's also this good thing in that there are then new people in the company that can do different tasks for me. So the main reason I'm not working on a task that I did, let's say, six months ago is because we now have someone in the company that can do it. And this then results in new things that I'm working on. So the, the new person, are they better at it than you would have been? Or are they just trained for that? Like, is this a skill in the past that you had to do because there was no one else and you weren't necessarily good at it? Yeah, uh, generally, the answer is I hope so, which is also like an interesting thought that you hire people that are better than you. There's certainly you hire the people that are better than you at this specific task. I think that the CEO needs to be able to do everything like decently well, but there's no training for this. Like, I'm, I'm, if I'm thinking about sales leadership, I, I can do sales. I've, I've done sales leadership as well, but the whole process put into place of how do you, how do you measure the outcome? How do you improve the outcome? How do you put the training and hiring program into place? This is where they're much, much better than I am because they also had the training and they're fully focused on exactly that task. And I, I would imagine your energy level or your enthusiasm for those tasks, you're happy to, to have them done by other people or does, is it nervous wrecking to hand them off? It's certainly nervous. I think this is then where, as long as you're doing great hiring, you're very excited to handing it off. I think it's actually a sign if of how well did you hire, depending on how nervous you are. Ah, that's a good co correlation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For us, I'm I'm excited to hand it off because I know that they can do that task better than I do. No, that's great. That's great. And your your growth story is. A little different than some. Tell us, tell us about that. It, it, uh, you and I were talking off camera about the expectations for growth and the reality of growth, and how oftentimes they weren't necessarily the same. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, I typically you see the TechCrunch story, and everything looks like an overnight success because we only talk about the successes. So we also always make it look like it's all it has all been always a success, but. I mean, our history, and I actually think the history of a lot of companies is very different. And specifically in our case, I think it's actually very much what shaped us as a company. And and to to, to share more of the details here, so for us, we, my co-founder and I, which is also my identical twin brother and I, so we started the company in 2013. And we had this, this great idea. It was actually a B2C product. It was we, we analyze what you buy online. And then we tell you how you for how much you can sell it, and we can we help you resell. So actually, really good for environment. People don't resell stuff. But it, it, uh, for us, since then, um, Airbnb talks about the thousand days of pain. I think for us, it has been the fifteen hundred days of pain until we arrived something that actually scaled. And there are so many lessons that come with this. So, I mean, I, I call it the, the 1500 days of pain. It could also be the 1500 days of learnings because really that's where we did. Oh, that's, that's interesting. So um, share what, the, uh, other than the misalignment of expectations, especially timing expectations, um, I'm fascinated with the success stories, which are fun. But as you say, most people have a thousand days or 1500 days of pain. In your 1500 days of pain, if you could share a couple of the biggest uh, or, or the most worthwhile lessons and the tuition you had to pay. I mean, obviously the time, the suffering or the, the, uh, the, 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 the missing expectations is one, but 
uh, share if you would. You know, yeah, yeah, on the, the tuition. Yeah, I think that the expectations. This is even like even if something scales, even if something is successful, I think the expectations are still misaligned. You still think you have success faster than than you will have. Right. But more generally, like, I remember. Like, the first, the first product we had, I remember when we, we had the idea, we started developing it. I was like dancing in the room because I knew like this is going to be successful. This is going to this is going to have value. And I, the, the lesson I learned there is, and that, that comes from my marketing professor, actually, maybe you're just weird. So you need to figure out, are you the weird one? The only one that actually sees the value in there or, or does the world also see value? And I think that the, the lesson we got from there is just you need to talk to a million people to figure out, are you weird or is this something? And uh -huh. specifically in the mindset of an engineer, like I'm, I'm originally an engineer, the mindset is always like, let me develop it first and then I throw it out into the world and then I see whether it works or not. But you need to first figure out if you're the weird one. So you need to force yourself to talk to people before you start developing. And, and that's, I think, lesson number one. Everyone learns the hard way. So, so the dancing in the room was you convinced yourself this was fabulous, but you had no validation from the market? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the dancing in the room was before we started big, big developing. It's sure. more like, okay, this is going to be it. And then we developed and then we got the non-validation from the market. Yes. <laughs> so, and that was, that was crystal clear that they confirmed one that you were the outlier or, or weird, as you say, and you had to start, yeah, what yeah. do you have to do then? Do you have to tweak or start all over? So that's actually also one of the lessons because the hard part is knowing when to give up and knowing when not to give up. And I actually think, surprisingly, we're good at both. And I think you have to be good at both or you learn at how to get good there. And you because mean, you mean like, strategically giving up, like stop wasting time and resources. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to yeah. cut this and start over. Yeah. Yeah. Because on the other hand, like that's where, that's the lesson of the thousand days of pain from Airbnb. They didn't grow for a thousand days and suddenly they did. So if they had given up after 900 days, then there would be no Airbnb. So the question is how many people did give up after 900 days on their idea. But on the other hand, you're also talking about the opportunity cost of your life. Like you're working on something that might never have any any real outcome. So you also need to be really strict on like, okay, I'm pulling the trigger and this is it. And so I think we get really good at identifying when to pull the trigger. And for us, that, that comes with a whole lot of experimentation. Like for us, it's like, okay, we have this idea. We think it works. It turns out it doesn't. What do we need to change? What would be the craziest change we can do to figure out if we do this crazy thing and it still doesn't work, then we know that this will never work. So we always try to go to the full extreme. And if the extreme version doesn't work, then the non-crazy version will never work as well. And that's how we identify when to completely stop and actually do something completely different. So how did you differentiate? It's fascinating, this, this, this uh, methodology. How did you differentiate whether you needed to adjust by 10% or go uh, 180 degrees different and radically shift? How do, you, how do you make that determination? Yeah, so I think... I think that the, you start out with something, you try the 10%, you try the 10%, they don't work. And at some point you, you tell yourself, okay, so I can do this 10% thing forever. And that's certainly not good because I could use my time differently. Yeah, you, so you, you can go 700%. <laughs> not yeah, yeah. Over, 
So the question is then, how, how can I in one step, not do the 10% better, but like the craziest version? This is where why combinators do things that don't scale. So what's the craziest, least scalable version of my product that I can try right now? And if that doesn't work, then I'm done with this. Right, because it doesn't work on either extreme. So you figure there's nothing in the middle? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a that's a it's a fabulous methodology because I imagine it saved you a ton of time to do it that way. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. But if if then this version works at least a little bit, then you know there's something you can fine tune on it. And I think that's that's where we actually ultimately arrived at the product we're at. Like we we had a company that was similar. Like we so right now we track. B2B information. We track professional information about people. The company before, we were actually talk, uh, tracking um, social information about people. So Instagram, YouTube, influencers. But that version didn't work, but it was very close. So what is the crazy change we can do instead of tracking the social information? Let's talk to prof- uh, track the professional information. And that's the change that then worked. So it's, um, I've worked with many clients who um, they don't realize they need to do it. I do. They have to grieve the loss of having wasted 400 days and not getting there. Did you have a process? Because I imagine it must have been difficult to say, all right, we're done with this. We're going radically the other way. Everyone show up tomorrow. We're starting something new. How did you pivot so quickly? I I don't mean how did you structurally do it. How do you do it emotionally to say, for all the people that still want to say, but I think this could work if we hang on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's two things that, that, that we always did. And, and surprisingly, I even look back positively in this, but like when we decided, okay, this is it, then we actually, we completely, we made a stop. This is it. Like we're not wasting any more time of it. And we also did a complete stop of like, okay, now we're taking time off. Like the mind needs to go somewhere completely right. else. Um, so I remember back then we were in San Francisco. I remember how we how we walked around in the middle of the night and said, "Okay, like this is it. This is not going to work." The next day we just went to Tahoe and just did nothing, absolutely nothing. Just just were at the water and enjoyed our time there. And for us, this was kind of like we needed the complete stop for a complete new beginning. But I think the other thing that that's really important for me is. It's the thousand days of pains. It's also the thousand days of learnings. I think I can always focus on like anything I've done here is so much more than I would have expected back this like 15 year old Christian back in Austria. And now I'm in, in San Francisco and actually got funding, worked on a startup. It didn't work out, but it's actually like I learned so much and it was actually crazy that I even tried this. So for that sense, it's it doesn't feel like this loss of time because in the time I did something, and I think I'm talking about the opportunity cost of life. I think the opportunity cost of, let's say, working at a stable job, I didn't think like I lost this time because I think I actually like gained more than I could have done in other ways. Sure. Sure. No, it makes it, it they're very, very different metrics, but yeah, that, that's that's fabulous. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit. You you talked about you know Airbnb with a thousand days of pain, and then suddenly they hit the inflection point. Was there a was there a 
episode or an event where you said, "Oh my God, we're we're finally we're finally doing the hockey stick, and and we're we're rapidly growing. This is what we've been after for fifteen hundred days." Was was it a epiphany or a a market driven thing or acceptance in the market? What, what was the what was the pivot point? Yeah. This, there's this video that I love about this crazy dancer. Like it's, it's at the festival, um, they're in the grass and then there's this one guy, like everyone's just hanging out and there's this I've, one guy dancing. I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Because like one guy is crazy, right? But once the second person comes and dances with him and then suddenly the crowd comes. The whole crowd goes. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're not the crazy one anymore. You are like this, this, this go-getter, this entrepreneur, right. That started this whole movement. And I think for us, if I, if, if we actually played this video, um, in our offsite, because I think it shows so well what happened to the company. So we actually got our first customer, like big one, 50 K early on, but, but then it, early on for the new product. Um, but then it took us another five months to actually get the next one. And that was kind of like the second dance. And then it took us three months to get the next one. So even despite us actually being quite successful at the beginning, it still takes longer than you would expect it. Yeah. And for us, that scale and this hockey stick, when it finally works, is kind of like the fourth dancer that came to the grass because then it didn't take a month anymore. Suddenly we were actually doing two sales a month and then it was four sales a month and then it was 10 sales a month. And so it's, it's the strictly effect that ultimately adds up. And for me, it's, it's the dance in the grass. That's, that's, that's fabulous. I, I love that. Yeah. Cause all of a sudden you're not the weirdos or yeah. the customer yeah. or the one customer is not customers. the customers. Yeah, 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 exactly. Both, both of us. Yeah. yeah. You, oh, the first customer is the most important one that, that you can yeah. have. Well, and, and the most exciting one, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. I remember where I was when this contract was signed. <laughs> so you're, a, you're, you're founded in 2013 and it's 2022, which is a fairly long time. Um, I'm curious about, I talk with CEOs all the time about risk tolerance because in 2013 or 2014 or, or the first couple of years, any decision you make can sink the company. You hire the wrong three people and that's enough to sink a company at that point. Cause you say, we, we can't, we can't make that mistake. Does it take us a, a different risk tolerance to scale a company than it does to, um, manage a, I won't manage is the wrong word, but to lead a company at scale versus to get to scale. Like, is it the same? Risk tolerance, or do you shift it at some point or no? So I think there's the risk tolerance of the founder, but there's also the risk tolerance of the early employees. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like, I feel like there was actually, it's now, now there's actually probably, um, not riskier, but there's, there's, there's now more, there are more people at stake now, right? We're now over 50 employees, which means that decisions actually impact a whole lot of people versus early on decisions, which could have bigger outcomes, because as you say, small things can change a, a, a company is very fragile at this stage. But on the other hand, it's only a few people. And I think the interesting thing is just the people that are crazy enough 
to join a startup when it's less than 10 people. They also have the, the, the risk appetite for, I want to do this and I'm fine if it doesn't work out. And I think once again, it comes to the right hiring for these people and to completely point out the risks that are associated. Right. I, every single hire, I tell like, okay, you're joining a startup. Here is what you sign up for. Like huge upside if this works out. Huge responsibility because we have no process in place for this. You're the first person doing this, which means that there will be so many situations where things don't work out because we don't have the product or we don't have the process. But on the other hand, you will be the one shaping the process. And based on this, I think you're just attracting the right people where this is not an issue. So I, I think that's a, that's a long answer for, I actually think that like the larger the company, because it, in, it impacts more people, the, the probably lower the my risk appetite gets. No, it's, it's, a, it's a great distinction. Uh, and you're still at 50, you're still at the size where you know everybody's name and face. How does that change when you guys are at 250 and people you don't know in your organization are hiring new people you don't know? How will that, how will that shift? Or do you have a sense? Yeah. Uh... No, that's crazy. Okay, <laughs> is, that a sad, is that a sad day for you, or a lot of a lot of founders have a tough time with that? Uh, I know the Airbnb guys did. Yeah, everyone. Um, there was a point at which they were at about two hundred and fifty, and every person reported to one or or more than one of the three founders because they didn't want to lose track of anybody, and that was yeah. part of their pain. Um, they yeah, had yeah, no, yeah. they couldn't protect themselves. Uh, how do you prepare? Yeah, every, do you prepare for that day, or you just know it's coming? So I think um, I was going to like everyone that we hire gets interviewed by one. Like we have the two co-founders and the the VP of marketing, and has been with us since the early days. So everyone gets interviewed by one of the three of us, so that we know we still know everyone. And I think at, at fifty, that still works. Yeah, the question yeah, is when still works. Breaks. Yep. And I think intuitively what you describe is actually what I'm afraid of. And, and what I mean by this is actually like, when you describe, when you ask me like, what is my dream scenario or why am I creating a company that obviously you want to create something that has value, like all the typically, but for me, it was always like, it's just this see like having a company with about 200 people, like basically one building of full of people that create something. And that's a fun environment to work. And I always, fixated on the number 200. And I think it's like the 150 or 200 is the maximum number of people where everyone can still know each other. And then I think this stops. One, 150 right? is referenced and it probably depends person to person, but yeah, that, you're, you're pushing it at 200. That's about it. Yeah. 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 And, and so, at, but at 50, so, you know, their dogs' names and their kids' names and their spouses' names at, at 150, that's a lot harder. And at 200, you're right. You're really stretching it. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and for you, that's kind of a sad day, it sounds like. Like you're not looking forward to that day, would to hit 250. <laughs> I think it's going to be, personally, there's this part that's like, that, that I'd be super proud about the fact that we yes. have this. But on the other hand, yes, like the, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about the, the human connection that, that maybe that gets lost a little bit then. No, that's great. That's great. Um, the uh, so we 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 asked this question of of everybody. Um, well, I'll, actually, before I do that, uh, I'd love to do it if you're up for it. Uh, it's a tough question. Um, 
you hear this term pre-mortem, but you're, you guys are, you guys are moving now. You're cooking. If it blows up two years from now, what will have happened that you guys run off the rails or, or fall apart? It's a, it's a difficult question. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, certainly this is a very specific to each company, I would assume. Yes. And I think even the answer is very different now than it would have been six months based on the economy. Um, I, I would think it's the market we are in. I get to say it's a marketing space. It's a very crowded space. Um, the way we survive and thrive in this environment is by, by sticking out, like having a very unique use case that delivers very unique value. So for this, this job change is, it's very different than what every other sales and marketing do, tool does. It's, um, it's easily understandable and it delivers immediate value. I think, it, and, and our goal is to expand from there. Like we go into an organization and become the trusted vendor of the organization and then expand from there. I think if, if that hook, that Trojan horse into an organization get, gets cut off because maybe one of our big competitors finally, after all these years, is able to deliver a similar product, then basically we're losing the Trojan horse and then we're losing the expanding motion. I think if, if you ask me what happened in two years, I think that's, that's the one thing that could have happened. And a, and a big competitor com could come in and just undercut your price or, or they just have more, more relationships? It's, I mean, we have, like in our space, there are companies that, that are the, the IBM, the, the big dog, and they don't have that product. They, they tried to develop it actually last year. They weren't able to, um, but in case they are, then yeah, they, they already have the relationship. They could just say, Hey, I give it to you for free. So we, we kill off user terms. Yeah. So is, is there a point at which your success um, is better to stay quiet than it is to be um, loud about it so that you can quietly stay under the radar from, from predators? Yeah, could be, but we're not good being quiet. I think the one thing we're actually good at and was always in motion for us is being loud and being larger or appear larger than we are. Like our whole marketing, advertising, social strategy was actually to to appeal large because that's where you get a chance in our space. We also need customer data. So pe companies need to trust us. So we're already the loud one. It's too late. So you, guys, to you, guys are, you guys are doing it like a Kardashian strategy. You're trying to be as loud and, and, and public <laughs> as you can. Huh? <laughs> With like the goal of still being trustworthy. So I don't fully would call it the Kardashian strategy, but yeah. Yeah. Does anybody in the organization date a Kardashian? Maybe you, maybe you guys could, could consider that. How about your brother? I mean, let's get him. Uh, let's, let's volunteer looking, him. Looking into some influencer strategy there, yes. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, one, one last question, which we do for fun, um, and for you, it would be different. You grew up in Austria. If we had been in Austria, I'll call it junior high, but we would call seventh and eighth grade, it's the most awkward time for most, for most people, your braces or pimples, or, you know, you're, you're hitting puberty, all that stuff. 
but had we gone there and hung around with you for a month or so, would we, how would we, what signals would we have had that you would have later been a founder or a, a CEO or whatnot? Was, uh, my guess is the signs were there. What, what were, who were you in seventh or eighth grade that, that the signs were there? Oh my God. Um, I think the biggest one, and also that, I don't know if it was already clear back then in a sense or stuck out as much, but I think the, the grit element, the, the not giving up element, like literally that's why, that's why we are alive. That's why we have a company that's actually successful now is because we didn't give up along the way. And I think the, the way this might've been clear is more like if back then, if you look at sports, like if I play tennis, there is no giving up. Like I run after like the game is over until the ball hits the floor twice. And I'm not giving up before that. Even if it looks impossible, I'm still going to try to catch that ball. And, and even, if you're over, even if you're overmatched, even if your opponent is probably better. Yeah. No, I, I, there's so many, like I can, I, I'll, I'll outrun you. And I'll certainly not giving up and I'll, I'll try whatever it takes to, to, to hit the ball back. And I think that's when you look at the tennis and I think it's very similar in the, in, in the entrepreneurial world. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a mindset more than anything. It's not that, uh, it's not that you could physically out, out, uh, outdo someone always, but mentally that's it. You're, you're, yeah. 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 That's, is a, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I, I can't think of a better trait for a founder because there's a hundred reasons to quit, yeah, especially if in 1500 <laughs> days, there's at least a hundred reasons to quit. And, uh, yeah, what a, what a great, what a great, uh, predictor of success. Um, anything else you'd like to share free form about, uh, about your journey with scaling and growth? Uh, I think like scale, whenever I think of scale and like the, the picture I have in my head, it's always this, this really long line at the beginning. And I mean, I think we, we, we talked about this, but I think it's just so interesting. The, the work you need to put in that ultimately adds up to something that then achieves scale. And it's probably also a valuable lesson. Like I've actually seen it recently with people that, that that started like the last few months where life was a little bit too easy like being an entrepreneur was a little bit too easy last year so i actually never learned the hard lesson i never learned the hard lesson of not everything i do is immediately successful so um i think the humility you, that that you need in this you, you didn't totally learn it so i think when, it, when we talk about scale ultimately you need to zoom out and see like how the scale ultimately it's up and, and adding up means there's a whole lot of a, of a straight line until there's, there's exponential growth. No, it's, it's, uh, it's fabulous. I'm, I'm fascinated with, um, two times successes because you, it can be, you're in the right place, the right market and you yes, have the right product. 100%. Yeah. And, and then people say, oh, he's a genius. And, he, and then they start the second one and it's a bomb. And you think, okay, it's not that easy. It's not, it's just not that easy. It's a meat grinder every single time. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. There's, there's also one really interesting thing. Um, 
I think we all know this whole like luck meets the prepared. So like entrepreneur is all about being lucky at the right time, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, what we also see is obviously like how many what do the Americans say? Like at bats do you have? Like yeah. how many how many tries do you have? Because so we went through Y Combinator in 2014. And the people that we went through YC with, there were several that ultimately were their startup wasn't successful, but so, so many are now having a successful startup. So it didn't work out the first time, but now that like, we have come, we have people where their the startup after YC is now a billion dollar company. I think we have 10 companies where they're worth more than a hundred million. So it's really all about like, if, if this doesn't work out, the lesson is also don't give up, go, go give it another try until luck hits you. How much of the community was responsible for that as opposed to the, um, the individual company's ideas? Like, did the community kind of buoy, ever, uh, lift all boats or like you had to lift up to play in that community? I think so. Like, I think the community just also instills very valuable lessons. Like, how do you iterate quickly? How do you get quick feedback? Then you see everyone else being successful. So it motivates you to be part of this. So this whole, it's, it's the competition. It's also the lessons. I think it's, it's a valuable lesson to go through this. Yeah. And yeah, even you can if learn you learn from the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. from your own. And from your own. Yeah. You, you get, you make your mistakes faster and you learn from them faster. No, that's great. That's mm -hmm. great. Christian, thank you for your wisdom and insight. Um, this is the, this is the subject that I find that you can't talk to anybody except founders, CEOs, and entrepreneurs because it's not. Um, I know a lot of university professors that say, "Well, I teach entrepreneurs," and I say, "It's like that's like trying to draw how to ride a bike on a on a whiteboard. It's yeah, you have to fall down, you have to skin your knee, you have to. It's not, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I appreciate." Yeah. Uh, I appreciate your 1500 days of pain and uh, I know them. I've done them before. I've done them twice. <laughs> so thank you for showing up today on Genius at Scale. And for our viewers, we, we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. All the best. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sean. Excited, excited to be here. Thanks for joining us today. Are you ready to scale? If so, invest three minutes in our scalability index. It's simple, easy, and gives specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. All the best.